That's a very real, tangible example of the win-at-all-cost mentality gone completely awry. Over the past couple of years, there's been a real crisis on Mount Everest, which is bucketless climbers that pay to climb to the top of Mount Everest so that they can summit that mountain, tell everyone they summited it, win at all cost. And as a result, you've seen a lot more tragedy on the mountain. In the worst instances, death. Because getting to that top of the mountain becomes more important than anything. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Brad Stilberg. Brad, what's going on, my man? Not much. Uh, In the thick of launching a book. So um, I am at that phase where week one feels like sprinting a mile, and then you realize you're on the start line of a 5K, which is the first month. Then you realize you're actually on the start line of a marathon, which is the first year. But it's good to have gotten that first mile out from under my legs. Yeah, I love that analogy because it it captures book writing, producing, marketing perfectly. But I'm I'm glad that you're still in the race. You haven't taken a, a peek over at the porta pots and decided to jump in there and, and quit, but you're still trudging along and going and successfully. So if you haven't yet checked out Brad's latest book master of change i don't know what you're doing like don't wait for brad to settle into marathon mode get it while he's still in 5k mode it will allow him to ease the pace off a little bit sooner and take a little burden off of him so get the book it's it's well worth the read i absolutely adored it and loved it and came away with some new ideas and insights which is somewhat surprising because I talk to Brad every day for multiple times of the day, it seems like, for all of my life. So you'd think we'd share everything. But no, I walked away with some new ideas on how to change and, and how to adapt. Um, so well done, Brad. Thanks, Steve. I saved the good stuff for the books. You get my first drafts, which tend to be not nearly as good as my 11th drafts, which is what everyone else gets. So appreciate the kind words. Uh, get the book. Listen to the book, read the book, listen and read the book. I don't care. I genuinely think it's my best work. Um, I hope that you feel the same way. So appreciate y'all checking it out. Today, though, we're going to talk about excellence not on the page. We're not even talking about excellence on the ground. We're talking about projectile excellence and some lessons from this projectile excellence for all of us on what it means to compete and what it means to try to be the best at what you do. So imagine this. Imagine you're standing on the on the ground. You go sprint holding a 14-foot pole in your hand, sprinting almost all out, 40 meters in front of you, sticking that pole into a little narrow kind of slot on the ground and launching yourself 16 feet into the air, flipping over a a bar and then landing back down on the ground. 
The pole vault is one of the craziest events in track and field. It's one of the craziest events you could do. In this case, we're talking about women vaulting themselves 16 feet in the freaking air and doing it in a controlled manner. Well, that's what some athletes did recently at the track and field world championship. And it came down, the event came down to two athletes at the end. Katie Moon, the American who was the Olympic champ and had also won a world championship. So she's essentially been the best in the world, one of the best in history, um, and has had a lot of success. And she was facing kind of a an up-and-comer to a degree. Australia's Nina Kennedy, who had... At that point, PR twice, I believe, going into the final couple of vaults. So they were tied at, I believe, 16 feet and one inch. They go through three vaults each to see if they can clear the next height to claim the victory. And they both fail at those three heights. And what, what that means is that it ended up a tie. So they were tied for the win. And in pole vault, you have a choice. You can either say, hey, we both cleared the same height. We both had the same number of misses, which is generally the tiebreaker going into it. We can share this. Or you can say, let's lower the bar and do a jump off. Well, Moon and Kennedy decided to say, hey, let's share the gold medal. We've we've both earned it. You know, Katie Moon was cited as saying, I'm completely satisfied. What a battle it was. Let's share the glory. So that's what they did. Reminiscent of what happened in the Olympics in the high jump where two men shared the, the high jump gold medal a couple of years ago. So it's this wonderful story, you know, shared world championships. And maybe not surprisingly, you know, Moon and Kennedy got some backlash online. Some people called them cowards. Some people called them didn't know that they didn't understand what competition was. And I just want to sit back and think you're telling an online person is telling, telling some people who are world champions, literally the best in the world, uh, what competition is, but we'll get to that. And you know what moon, Katie moon posted on Twitter and Instagram. She posted a response that basically outlined, Hey, here's what was going on. You don't understand the event. They were jumping for four hours, 85 degrees, sprinting up and down the runway. And in her world words, if their takeoff step when they launch into the air is even a couple inches, you know, misaligned, it can spell disaster, which we've seen in the past in the pole vaults, horrific injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end, Moon has this wonderful line, which summarizes what we're going to talk about today which she says, contrary to popular belief, you do not need a win-at-all-cost mentality to have a champion's mindset. And, and I love that, Brad, because I think too often what we tend to hold up is we think, oh, the best in the world. Like they have to be cutthroat. They have to be killer. They have to have win-at-all-cost. They have to be so obsessed that they're deluded and the only thing that matters in the world is this thing and they want to rip their competitors' heads off because they just want to win. And that's the kind of mindset we hold on to and think you know, is required to be the best. But here you have, again, two-time world champion, Olympic champion, 
saying, hold up here. You don't need a win at all cost mindset to be a champion. I love it. Well, let's, let's start with um, the etymology of the word compete, which comes from the Latin compitriere. And that's composed of two roots, com, C-O-M, and then pito, P-E-T-O. And com is with, and pito is to strive. So the word compete means to strive with or to strive together. Doesn't mean win. It means to strive together. And I think what these two ladies did is they exemplified true competition. They strived together. They got the most out of each other. They pushed each other. They went head to head. They literally raised the bar. In this case, very literally raised the bar um, to to a place where they were both maxed out. And that's the definition of competition. So I think the first thing is when we think of competition and um, we think of like, you must win, that's not actually what the word means. The word means to strive together. Now, are there very real implications to winning? Of course, in sport, in business, uh, generally speaking, you know, winning is associated with making money and it's for better and a lot of worse. That's why you see things like doping and cheating and, and all this stuff. But in this case, my understanding is they both get the gold medal you know, they're both going to get sponsorship deals. It's not going to impact their financial standing in any kind of meaningful way. Why wouldn't they share the gold medal and have that moment together? And when you think about it like that, only some sociopath narcissist would be like, no, it's mine and I'm going to prove it. But unfortunately, I think that a lot of people have the sociopath narcissist worldview uh, embedded in into them. I mean, shit, when we first wrote our book, our first agent who no longer represents us, but not for this reason, he's actually a, a very fine agent for us when we first started, but he kept being like, nobody writes books together. Like it's got to be Brad with Steve or Steve with Brad. It can't be Brad and Steve. Like, what do you mean? He's like, no, no. Like, you know, there's only one author and like the author has to promote the book and all this. Nobody writes books together. And we're like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Well, then we're going to write a book together. Like, are there rules? Well, you got to have two contracts. All right, my wife's an attorney. We'll make two contracts. Like, and it was just so foreign, um, even on a book. And I just think, like, it, it, is, it is enmeshed in our society that it's all or nothing, win or loss, individualistic, when in fact, uh, the best way to strive for excellence is to do it together. Don't ask me, ask, uh, ask the ancient Greek you know, philosophers and athletes in the arena who literally came up with the word compete and what it means. Yeah, I'm glad you outlined that. And I think that's another wonderful example there because it it really is kind of like a mindset that's kind of become ingrained in our modern culture. And I think part of it is, uh, you know, just kind of like our American ideals of success and how we kind of confuse it with things. And what happens is we create this kind of it's non-contextual, non-nuanced idea that it's like win or lose, you know, first place or last place, etc. Instead of understanding the the nuance of it, is that in this case, like you could have two winners. In this case, you could win and literally get second or third if you did your best and like PR'd and like put everything out on on the track. That's why often if you watch 
track and field races and and such like the second place or third place finisher is often celebrating as much or more than the winner did because like a win for them was something different from just the the first place is the only thing that matters there and i think when we reorient in in this uh in this way what it does is it frees us up to perform so win at all costs mindset, this kind of narrow view of like first place or last place, what it does is it kind of shrinks us and pushes us to a place where we start often performing out of fear because it's either a win, it's a win, by definition, a win at all costs. We will do anything. It means that much to us. And when that much pressure is on us, what happens? Well, we either kind of don't handle the pressure well and start playing out of fear or start, quote unquote, choking. Or we say, like, you know, you mentioned earlier with like doping or individuals like Lance Armstrong, we say win at all costs. Great. I'm going to win. But in the process, I'm going to ruin, you know, so many people's lives around me who... Yeah, or like bulldoze through this sport or individuals who don't have the same kind of like win at all cost ideal. And what happened there, what happens there is, yeah, you might get the trophy at the end, but you've just discarded everybody who helped maybe bring you to the spot or help the sport, um, you know, grow in itself. So before we get to practical tips, I want to um, I want to talk about this in one more context where it's really clear and the stakes are the highest possible, and that is on Mount Everest. And over the past couple of years, there's been a real crisis on Mount Everest, which is bucket list climbers that pay between $65,000 and $150,000 to climb to the top of Mount Everest so that they can summit that mountain, tell everyone they summited it, win at all cost. Um $65,000 to $150,000. I guess it's not all costs, but the people that are doing this, they probably pay a million dollars to get up there. And as a result, you've seen um, a lot more tragedy on the mountain. And in the worst instances, death. Mm-hmm. Because getting to that top of the mountain becomes more important than anything. And it's very easy to have a relationship with the Sherpa or the guide company that you paid, which is I paid you this so I could get to the top of the mountain. You get me there. Don't care what happens to you. Don't care what happens to the other people. Not my problem. They paid someone else. You're my team. I want to get to the top. And you get these long line of climbers waiting to summit Everest, essentially fighting for weather windows. And as I mentioned, the result is all too often death. Uh, so I think that like, that's a very real tangible example of the win at all costs mentality gone completely awry and without getting like, you know, too, too into my, um, my like more progressive worldview, which I don't even hold very strongly, but I mean, how much of this is like capitalism is like a win at all costs. I mean, there's been famous books written about this, right? Like, um, the winner take all economy, bowling alone. Uh, and I think on Everest, like you see capitalism coming from Mount Everest, which is, Hey, I paid the most. So I get to get to the top of the mountain. I don't care what happens to anyone else. And so much of what drives suffering, whether it's mental health, physical health, doping in sport, cheating in the Western world is this like rugged individualism. 
uh, which turns out to make nobody happy. Like the Gini coefficient, which is this marker of inequality, turns out that that is once you when, let me try to explain this as fast as possible. The Gini coefficient goes between zero and one. Zero is perfect equality. One is perfect inequality. Once a society has a base level of income, i.e., above forty thousand dollars a person, so basic needs are met, societies with lower Gini coefficients tend to be happier and healthier than societies with higher Gini coefficients, even if the higher coefficients are richer. Why? Because they're in it communally. They're competing, they're striving together. So you see this literally at every single level, yet we get so fixated on the win-at-all-cost mentality. You know, the the funny thing is, it's easy to hate on capitalism, but you know the the essential originator of capitalism, Adam Smith? Warned yeah, us. Of, I know what you're going to say. Keep yeah. going. He warned us of this, right? If you, if you read his writings, like there's so much that is essentially where he says, like, "Hey, capitalism can be good on a group stage, but it can be so disruptive on an individual stage because what it does, and I'm paraphrasing like hell here, but what it does is that ambition blinds us, and it blinds us." to push us towards this selfish nature instead of this kind of us worldview nature where we see others. And Smith talks in much of his writing about like balancing these two opposing features, which is like getting the good parts of striving for success while also holding on to this idea that you need like other focus, tranquility, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, if I had time, I'd pull some quotes or two to validate this, but I think I've written about it in the past. But I think what he gets at is, is, is there's, it's not the evils of capitalism per se. It's that we've, we've kind of bastardized Smith's original ideals without ris- listening to his warnings and saying, Hey, we need a counterbalance to this to prevent us from losing, you know, our minds in this striving. And that counterbalance is what it's, another focused. It's an ability to be content. It's an ability to have, in Smith's words, tranquility. That's what he talks about all the time to balance out that striving. And I think that lesson is more important now than ever, because like many things, if a a win-at-all-cost mindset is often when we just overweight or overvalue all on one side. We value the win above everything else. And what we fear is we think that, oh, if I just, if I, I'll use the word care, if I care a little bit less about this win, that means it's not going to be where, it means it's where I'm not going to be able to perform our best. And I think the original example we used and every other example we've had so far has shown is that, as I said, in the words of Katie Moon, like, you don't need a win at all cost mentality to have a champion's mindset. You can be the best in the world holding that nuance of saying, I want others, I want to lift others up as well. I want to have competition bring out the best in me. But if that means it brings out the best in uh, and someone else and we go to battle and we end up elevating both of our performances but sharing in that wealth at the end, that's wonderful. That's not something to be discouraged. That's something, that's like the true definition of winning. Love it. All right. So then let's get really tactical here uh, and give, uh, give, give listeners some tools. Uh, how do you shift your mindset from being a win at all costs to a more genuine competition? 
And I think the first is simple. I think it's reflect on what your value actually is and start using that language. So is your value to win or is your value to compete? And if your value is to win, that's fine. Um, know it and then go win at all costs and, and, you know, for better and as we discussed, for worse, like reap the consequences of that. But if your value is to compete, then remind yourself of that and remind yourself of what that word means and remind yourself that the end goal is to get the most out of yourself in an environment where other people are involved. And if you beat them along the way, that's great. But the primary goal isn't to beat them along the way. The primary goal is to get the most out of yourself. And I think that that is a really big, important shift, right? Is your value or is the name of this game to win or to compete? And then I think the second thing is, is to try to have um, a relationship with the people that you are competing against, where it is one of friendship and admiration. And that should be easy to have because if you're in the arena and you're pushing hard and someone else is in the arena and they're pushing hard, you ought to respect and admire each other. And so many of the best rivalries in sport and business are born out of mutual respect. And yeah, there's a winner and a loser most of the time. Most of the time you don't tie, you know, and and, and split the gold medal. But my sense is that like, even if there was a tie, those, those rivalries would be happy with it because they were competing. They weren't just trying to win. The win, the win came as a byproduct. And most people that win at all costs are assholes. So you don't want to be an asshole. I mean, it's very true. And I think the perfect example, again, my track bias is, but one, my, one of my favorite uh, events to watch is the decathlon, which is 10 events spread over two days. It's one of the most grueling competitions you could do because it involves sprinting, running the 1500, which is almost a mile, throwing objects, pole vaulting, everything, jumping, everything in between spread over two days. So it's just, you're just fried at the end. You're, you're exhausted. But if you watch decathletes after they finish the hardest event, which is last, the 1500, they're all collapsed at the ground. And then they all share in that victory. They all celebrate, even if the, you know, the first place guy or the 10th place guy, often you watch at competitions, they all take a victory lap or all get the victory photo together because they recognize that, yeah, someone won and got second and third or what have you. But man, we just went through this grueling two day, 10 events, you know, marathon that just tests you mentally and physically. So there's that shared kind of tribe of like not many people can do this and we challenged ourselves to do it. And I think when we go in with that mindset together, it brings out the best in in all of us, right? It doesn't take away, it brings out the best. So I'm spot on there is, is get to know your competitors as people and human beings. Don't see them as caricatures to like create a other out of or hate because like they're your competitor, like see them as human beings. It's not going to take away from the competition. Often the best rivalries see each other as human beings. They have that mutual respect. And the last thing I'd say that we've kind of hinted around this for practical is have things that allow you to get some perspective every once in a while where you can pop your head out of water and see is is the thing that I'm pursuing, the thing am I competing at, am I being dragged or pulled into the right direction? 
Because so often what experience and actual research tells us is that we often start out with kind of the shared competing, getting the best out of ourselves, this intrinsic motivator to see what we're capable of. But as societies pull, as others pull, whether that's coaches, parents, like fans, whoever, kind of hold up these shiny objects and tell us we're great because we won this or we should strive for this, our motivators often shift. And it's often imperceptibly. So we started because we love the thing and want to do it. And over time, we feel like we have to do it because we're striving for this shiny object or this identity wrapped around this thing. And the way to prevent that is, again, pop your head out of water. Am I still doing the thing for the reasons that I want to do it? Do I still love this sport and this endeavor, this pursuit? Do I have other things in my life that put this pursuit in perspective so that I realize that at the end of the day, you know, win or lose, I get to come home to my wife or husband or daughter or son or family, and they're still going to love me no matter what. Like those perspective, uh, awareness, that perspective and awareness helps to make sure that you don't find yourself at a win at all cost, you know, obsess or go home and being miserable. You know, in, in Master of Change lingo, you got to have multiple rooms in your your house that is your identity. Because if you live in a one-room house, then all you care about is that room and you literally can't see any other rooms to go into. So if that room floods, you're screwed. So you do everything possible to keep that room perfect and prevent the flood. Whereas if you got multiple rooms in your house, you know, when one room floods, you go spend some time in the other. Or when you get way too caught up in one room and it starts to narrow your whole world, well, you step outside that room and you go somewhere else. Um, so yeah, diversifying your sense of self, your sources of meaning, being more like the speed skater, Niels Vanderpool, who famously had a normal person weekend in the buildup to setting the world record and winning a double gold medal in the 2022 winter games. Why? Because he had all this fear that he was skating with because his whole identity was skating. So what did he do? He, he developed other sources of identity and meaning. Um, so I think that it's a really important, important ad there. All right. Well, to wrap up, Steve, I'm curious, where do you see this playing out? Like what other arenas do you, can, I'm, I'm asking you this, we didn't talk about this before, so I hope I don't catch you too off guard. Where else do you see like a lot of zero sum thinking where you think there could be more uh, compete thinking or like when it, when it, I mean, let me rephrase. Cause I want to try to make this language uh, more normalized and let's start using it all the time. Where do you see win at all costs versus compete? What other arenas where it could shift? I have uh, one for sure, but I'm curious what you say. Politics? Yeah, mine's very close. Yours is politics. Mine's drug development. So two areas where there's like such a tragedy of the commons where like because everybody wants to win, they don't get the best outcome. Whereas imagine like if everyone was on the same page in politics, how much shit we'd get done. Or if in drug development, instead of having 19 labs working on the same Alzheimer's drugs, they all worked on it together. And um, I think this is just that misconception of capitalism or competition that says like, well, you got to be at each other's throats to get the most out of each other. Um, when in fact, that's not true, especially in drug development. Like people that go into drug development are scientists. Like maybe 10 years later, their value shift is a result of the environment that they're spending all their time in. But a good scientist loves nothing more than to be in the room with other good scientists. Um, 
So yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine. I, I really wish that that drug development was nationalized or at least closer to that, um, just because I think we'd have much better outcomes. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And as you said, it's the same with politics is when it becomes about winning instead of competing in this case to do the best for the people you represent and society and and a whole, then what ends up having it happening is like our values get thrown out the window because like that doesn't matter. What matters is winning. So you're going to shift your beliefs and values and what have you to you know, stay in my office, get voted in, blah, 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 keep power instead of like doing what you have to, to like make the world or your can people you represent uh, better off and in a better place. All right. Well, we appreciate you listeners. If you like the show, make sure to rate it, leave a review, subscribe, share it with your friends, your colleagues, and, um, go educate your community. Uh, Are you in it to win, to win at all costs? Are you in it to compete? And a lot of people hear those two things and think that they mean the same thing. But hopefully today we teased out that they're actually entirely different and the implications of that difference are pretty profound. So go out there, compete, know what you're competing for, strive together. And uh, with that, we'll catch you all next week. 